Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. We are, if I'm not mistaken, we have one more Rashi to do on the 14th verse of the fourth chapter of Shmot. So let's just kind of get into it um, and uh, see what comes next. So a reminder that um, what the shot of verse 14 was that we spent some time with last week. Again, chapter four, verse 14. Moshe. The nostrils of God flamed with respect to Moshe. God got angry. Bayomer, God said, Hello, Aaron, Achicha, Halevi. Behold, Aaron. Uh, behold, Moshe. Aaron, your brother, you know, the Levite. We spent some time with that. Yadati, I, God, know. Interesting past tense word, I have known. Kidaber, Yidaber, who, that he will verily speak. He's a good speaker. And behold, here he is. Present tense verb. We spent a lot of time with that. Coming out to greet you. Is it really understood as a present tense or is it kind of a um, imagining what's going to happen in real time, but in the future? He will see you. And he will be happy in his heart. Um, the Rashi that we're going to look at is on that last line. Before we look at that Rashi, I forgot to mention this last time. Uh, just to open up an interesting um, linguistic, etymological, but not even like conceptual can of words that we can't resolve. We moderns use the word heart um, all the time to represent things that have nothing to do with the pumping of blood, right? You know, my, my heart is with you. You know, it's the, when we feel something in our heart, we associate heart with emotions, Um it's not a completely obvious why we do that, right? I mean, what, one can go down that rabbit hole, but it, it's an organ, right? Uh, and somehow it got associated with um, either kindness or the lack thereof to be, you know, um, warm-hearted and cold-hearted. And we have that in the Torah. We're going we're to be commanded by Yechazek and Leif Paro that God hardened uh, Pharaoh's heart is going to be a very significant theme in the Exodus story. It is an interesting question to, to know to at least ask why it is the ancients, like what is it about what they thought the heart was, right? The word lev definitely does also mean the organ. What they thought the organ heart was such that even in the text of Torah, thousands of years ago, it became associated with feelings, right? We, We know physiologically feelings don't happen in the heart feelings happen in the in the mind right feelings are 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 neuronal bursts and and hormones and neurotransmitters doing their work all the blood all the heart is doing in that situation is pumping the blood to make it work like everything else um so i want to just pause on it for a second i have no resolution on it i'm not a i'm not a a scholar of what the word heart has meant throughout history but it's it's striking that this is written in the very modern idiom or the modern idiom uh, is a very old idiom and throughout language and cultures, cultures, he will see you. That's plain. He will be happy. That's plain. Billy Bo in his heart. It's interesting to wonder what the Torah really meant by that, uh, when it said it. So I wanted to just start with that before we look at the Rashi. Any comments or, or re, or thoughts about that? Um, before we move on. Okay. So, um, let's, uh, oh yes, Joanna, go ahead. So I'm going to guess that 
It seems obvious that after an absence, two brothers would be happy to see each other. So the fact that it's commenting on that seems to suggest to me that um, maybe there's more to say about why they're happy to see each other other than it's been a long absence and it's so good to see you again. Uh huh. So meaning not a question on the, on the heart per se, just on, on what, on what the scene is and, and what, why it is there will be some joy there. Yeah. And Rashi is going to give his own answer to that as to why um, the, God anticipates that Aharon is going to feel joy at all in this scene. Okay. Tova. <clears throat> kind of thinking this through as I'm saying it. Um, I think we've talked about this before, but um, it's true that over the years, heart has very much come in our culture to be associated with emotion. But at the time of the Egyptians, at least, and even possibly at the time that this was beginning to be written and recorded or some of these things happened, heart was actually associated with cognition, with thinking rather than emotion. And so it's hard to say which side this verse is falling on. Is it saying he will will feel a surge of joyful emotion on seeing you? Or is it saying that when he thinks about it, he will be glad that you've come back to face whatever it is you're going to be facing. I think it could go either way. But it was definitely the case for the Egyptians, at least, that they did not think of it in the, those terms. It was more like what we would talk about the brain today yeah. or the mind. Yeah, it's a very astute and helpful comment that actually thickens the stew because yeah. <laughs> because the samach, it, it, listen, it's impossible to really talk about what they thought happiness right. was, right? We, we're, we're, in, we're in such a guesswork area. Um, but it seems to be, that the samach is a, a stative verb that suggests an emotional state of happiness that you would think they would think took place in the part of the body where um, that was transpiring. And you're right. They did not necessarily associate that with the heart. They thought of the heart as thought. So I, I like your half resolution. Well, maybe then they also thought of happiness as thought uh, to thinking, to, to thinking happiness. Um, we, we, these are simple words. Samach and Lev are simple Hebrew words. But there is an enormous chasm between us and the true understanding, which we'll never know, as to what those words meant to them then. And interestingly, um, this, you can imagine this might have been a situation where Uncleus would have translated colloquially if, if in first century Judea, the way the heart was thought about was different than uh, you know, pre-ancient Israel. But Uncle is translates it. It's in the the yechde like chedva dina gila arena dita the chedva right another word for joy the yechde bilibe he had joy in his heart so Uncle has had no problem rendering it that way which suggests that if you're walking around Judea in the first century to say that somebody was happy in their heart meant something does that mean that they thought it was happening here it's hard to know uh, Norm Rachel and then Rebecca. Um, I don't think it's obvious at all that siblings that have been apart for a long time are going to be glad to see each other. Um, even if we had never read Breshis, um, common knowledge would identify as numerous sets of brothers or other siblings who are apart for a long time in large part because they like it better that way, or at least one of them does. Um, so in this case, God 
informing Moshe that this is going to be a positive experience for you, that Aaron's really going to be glad to see you, um, is a reassurance because, you know, Moshe left and apparently has not communicated much with home, hasn't looked after his mother and so forth. So who knows what the reactions might be um, by his siblings. God telling him this is going to go well is a significant reassurance or assurance. Norm, I love that connection to the narratives of Breshi, right? To to how often um, the the one sibling was not necessarily thrilled to see the other, based on on uh, based on issues of jumping over um, pr- uh, primogeniture, right? So this, and remember, and Rashi is going to connect to this. That was was one of Moshe's concerns, according to Rashi, right? We're about to be dri- uh, driven there by Rashi, but. And we'll look at it um, explicitly. But Rashi imagined that one of the reasons why Moshe did not want the job is because Moshe was concerned that Aaron was not going to be happy with it because Aaron's the firstborn and Moshe's not. Um, so this is uh, definitely a, um, a good reassurance for, for him. Rebecca? Um, I wanted to go back to the heart uh, business and sort of thicken it a little bit more. Um, two weeks ago, when you unfortunately couldn't teach, um, and Leonard was teaching the uh, Koshak and Breshit that had to do with Noach. Um, in, in that pursuit, there was actually a re- reference to God's heart. So um, there was, um, I found it this morning now, um, there's Vayomer um, Hashem Elibo, so he speaks to himself, um, and he does speak about Yetzir Lev HaAdam, so again, the... Um, this is more than emotion, sort of. This is the, the life uh, sort of power of, of humans is in the heart. And then um, one of the commentaries reminds us that initially God's um, So in some ways, the heart is being used not only for humans, and so it's not just where we're supposed to be thinking or feeling, but also where supposedly God um, has some of his um, or her feelings as well. I'm getting Great. a little bit um, mixed up with the gender. and <laughs> but uh, uh, It's such a rich comment, um, Rebecca, because it, it, it shows that so deep was the ancient notion that whatever they understood the word lev to mean, which is also this, was also a place where emotions emerged and where thoughts happened, that it was even anthropomorphically projected onto God, right? That, that whatever this lev is, right? And, and, and maybe that's actually a helpful way of understanding it because, um, yes, God has a, you know, yad chazakah and azrod nituya, like a strong hand and arched, outstretched arm, but we're supposed to understand that as a, kind of a, meta, a metaphor for strength, not necessarily a limb. So when we talk about the lev Hashem, right, the... Um, the heart of God, I don't know that we're supposed to be thinking about it as an organ. We're supposed to be thinking about it in terms of what they imagined the heart and a human was the source of. Um, and it's, 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 it's striking, right? And it's just striking to ask the question, why, we, we use this idiom all the time. Why do we think love happens here? Right? Why, is, why is that symbol, the symbol for love? It's, it's ancient. It's, it's, it goes back a long way. It's not 100% intuitive, right? You could imagine that the symbol for love should be the brain because that's really where love is happening, right? Or a sexual organ, right? But the heart, it's interesting that that became the, um, 
the, the node for the emotion of love. Uh, Rick. Um, hi, can you hear me all right? Can, yes. Um, along the lines of uh, the reaction of Aaron and, and Moses, so um, um, just to establish that it was pretty positive, um, when he does, uh, when Aaron does greet him in in uh, a few uh, verses, the Vayishak Lo, and he kissed him, there's no dots on top of the um, the word like uh, in Vayishak Kehu with uh, Jacob and Esau. Which is very Parsha timely of you to reference. Yeah, because it's, uh, it's this week. Correct, correct. Um, okay. Will you flesh that out, Rick, another few sentences for those who may not get all the references? Okay. Um, well, I, I looked ahead to see what Aaron's re- reaction was. So that's um, 27, uh, uh, 4 verse 27. So there at the end of it, Vayishak Lo, um, and he kissed him. It's not sure who kissed who, but um, if the subject is Aaron, uh, he goes, he meets him on the Mount of uh, God. So you would think it would be Aaron kissing Moses. So about the heart thing. And then uh, Vayishlach, um, this week, uh, it's chapter 33, and it's verse 4. Um, uh, Jacob is worried about how Esau is going to um, meet him because of all the bad things he did. So he, he divides up his camp. He sends him a piece at a time with all the gifts. And then Vayishak Kehu, and he kissed him. Um, the Masoretes, Aaron Ben Asher, they put dots on top, and we don't know why, but we're guessing that there was. Um, well, the Masoretes were just doing what God had asked them to do. Yes, right, exactly. Uh, what the tr- tradition told them to do. Um, but um, uh, so there's a question about uh, uh, how genuine uh, is the uh, embracing, or maybe it's really intense. I don't know. Right. And Rashi on that verse, going back a long time since we read it together, um, uh, connects nashak to kiss with nashach to bite to suggest that um, uh, they would, they, they, it was a feigned kiss. But when he Asaf came in to embrace him, he actually kissed him and that the dots are like the, the teeth marks on his neck, like a Dracula. Um, so in this case, it seems to be more genuine, <laughs> yeah. uh, a genuine love. And it seems that God's prediction of he will see you and be happy is accurate. God knows the future well. And it's a good general reminder that we are in this scene, which we've been in for a long time, God and Moshe are exchanging words about what's going to happen. And then we're going to see it happening. And there is some, um, some of it isn't entirely accurate. There's a complete overlap with what we're anticipating. And some of it is a little bit, a little bit different. Good. Uh, Barry and then Rebecca Leonard. Uh, it seems that God is a, a master of ceremonies, um, and in the future, God will stop up uh, Pharaoh's heart, uh, God's ability to open and close hearts, um, making sure to Moshe, don't worry, uh, Aaron will come with an open heart to you. Great. That's a really great connection, Barry. Um, Right, because it, it's as if God is not just anticipating it, but ensuring it. Wonderful. Thank you for that. Uh, Rebecca, I don't know if it's just you or Rebecca or Leonard there too, but hi. Hi. Yeah, we're here. <laughs> um, yeah, I, being uh, glad and 
glad in one's heart sounds like it's, um, you know, kind of in secret, you know, something that can't be observed. So perhaps God is reassuring Moshe and revealing, you know, you may not be able to see it, but, but yes, he will be happy. Aaron will be happy in his heart. So don't worry. Uh, I'm telling you that that's what's going to be in Aaron's heart. I see. So that rather than understand it as necessarily an idiom for happiness in general, it's very specific that he, he may not look happy, but he'll be happy in his heart. Interesting. Okay. Um, Joanna, then we're going to read the Rashi. Um, as Rebecca was speaking, um, I was thinking of, you know, where do we see Visamach bit? So Visamachta Bechagacha, Visamachta, Visamach Bechalko, right? So at least the ones, the references that come to mind, Visamach bit is about external things that will make you happy. So there's a difference here in the way that this is used in that this is internal. It's interesting. I thought you were going somewhere else when you mentioned those two comments. So let's, so I honor that comment, the ex- external internal. I thought you were also going to play with what the bib means here because right? who was um, wealthy, the one who was happy with his, his or her portion. The bud there doesn't mean location. It means with respect to, right? You know, how the one who is content with respect to his portion. And you could play around with right? Are you saying that you should be happy on the Chag? Like during it? Is it a during? Is it a temporal? Or is it you should be happy with respect to this this holiday? Um, so those are interesting connections on, on, on more than one level. I wonder if, if uh, I can't think of others at the top of my head that are that are well-known uh, um, biblical or ritual connections between simcha and the preposition ba. Um, all right. Now let's look at the Rashi. Now that we've done um, a lot of our own surgery on um, uh, Carol, I feel like we haven't called on you recently. Do you want to read the Rashi? It's the second, it's, it's the end of the long Rashi on verse 14. Uh, the is it the Hinehu or the Varecha? It's neither. It's actually, if you're in the Torah Chaim, the, not. you're not. Okay, so it's um, so for those who are in the Torah Chaim, the the Dibur Hamachil, the quote from the verse is the last three words of the Rashi on page Mem Vav, but the commentary doesn't begin till the top of Mem Zion. And if you're not in the Torah Chaim, Carol, there's Four or five Diburei Matchil in that verse. There's Vayichar Af, there's Halo Aharon, there's Hinehu Yotzei, and then the last one is Varachava Samach Belibo. Okay. The next words. Varachava Samach Belibo, Lo Lo Kusha Ata Savur, Sheyehe Makpid Alecha, Shata Ole Legdola, Umisham Zaka Aharon, Hachoshen is the breastplate that the the high priest was going to wear. Hachoshen Hanaton Al Halev. There's Halev again. Okay. It is not. It is not what you what you understand or 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 think that. Uh, I don't know what makpid is. Makpid can mean either um, plainly to be precise, 
but it can also mean to be uh, like precise and, and, and irritated by, to be, to be like stern, right? So you could talk about someone who's very makpid in a particular observance of halakha, um, but if someone is, is called is a kapdan, which is the noun form of the verb, it means that they're they're irritable because they're 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 not they're not in a good or easy place. So I think this is referring here to God saying to Moshe that Aaron's going to be happy, happy, not as you had thought or were nervous. That's the savor samach beit resh means to to think or to hold an opinion. Um, that Aaron would be makpid. He would be makpid alecha. He'd be a little bit irritated with respect to you. Why? Shatel. Oh, Shatel, oh, in, in, in your, because you are, you have become, gone up to become great. Right. Um, so, and then that brings us back to that Rashi where, I mean, it's only seven, four verses ago. We did it a long time ago because we've been going slow. If you go back to verse 10, everybody, right, the shot of verse 10, just four verses ago, five verses ago, by Moshel Adonai, Moses said to God, "Be Adonai, please, my God, lo I'm not a man of words. Gam mitmol, gam neither yesterday nor the day before that. Gam nor since you even began speaking to your servant, your servant, the situation in this moment is me. Ki anochi, for I am heavy of speech and heavy of tongue. And Rashi there, I forgot which part of that Rashi says that. Um, yeah, so if you look at the Rashi on, um, hold on. Yeah, so if you look at the first Rashi, he, he, he starts breaking down the mitmol um, shilshom, and I don't want to go right back into it, but go to the words, v'cholzeh. Um, so after he does with mitmol shilshom, Rashi says v'cholzeh, all of this deference, all of this, no, sir, I don't want this job. That Moshe did not want to take greatness. Al over superseding Aaron, his brother. He was bigger than him. Aaron was bigger than him. And he was a prophet. Okay. So um, Rashi is um, being self-referential here because that's not explicit in the Torah, but uh, Rashi is reading God's um, reassurance, you Moshe were nervous he was going to be makpid alecha, the opposite. He's thrilled for you, right? Well done, Moshe. You know, good job with your promotion. Okay, so now back to what you were reading. Okay, and from, uh, from, from there, from this, or from there, Aaron, uh, mer- merited, uh, uh, I don't know what Ade, the, the Hashan is the breastplate. I don't know what Ade is. So ade or adi is a uh, adornment, uh, jewelry. So here, uh, like finery. Uh, so he merited the um, just lost my place. Um, the, the, the 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 adornment or the ornament of the choshen, that breastplate that was part of his um, uniform when he was serving as Aaron uh, as high priest, Hanatun. That that was placed over his heart. Good. Okay, so I want to share a verse with you so we can see that exactly where that is. One second. So, um, only a short 24 chapters from now. I think this is Parshat Titzavet that talks about the um, the garments that the high priest would wear. Venatata el hachoshen hamishpat. Within that breastplate of judgment, 
et ha'orim et ha'turmim, you put in the, that oracle of the urim and the tumim, ve'hayu alev aharon. They will be on aharon's lev, right? Here in the verse in 28, this seems to be anatomical, right? That he's going to wear it on over his chest, over his heart. Rashi, kind of dancing with what we were talking about 20 minutes ago, was saying, because of what Aharon experienced in his heart, joy rather than envy, rather than rancor, he gets to have God's finest adornment hovering over the part of the body that they associated with those very emotions, right? Um, uh, every time he would come in front of God's... Um, uh, presence, and Aaron would 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 hold, carry the the. the there's actually a, a word missing. The the thing which was used for mishmat mishmat bnei Israel, the instrument that is used for um, judging the Jewish people, the Israelites, alibo over his heart, always in front of God. Okay, so. Um, in some ways, Rashi read this pretty similar to how we were reading it, which is that this is a reassurance to Moshe that um, Aaron is not only not going to be angry with him, he's going to be very, very happy for him. And it's a situation where God is sort of endorsing the inversion of the primogeniture, right? Aaron is older. This is your job. He will be happy for you. This is not going to be going back to what Barry said, Barry or someone else, someone else said this. It's not going to be Yaakov. Um, Yaakov Esav. It was, uh, someone said it. It's not going to be Ishmael and Yitzchak. This is going to be Aaron fully accepting that this is your role, not his. Okay. Uh, comments, questions, we'll go to the next verse. Okay. Uh, Tova. Uh, I just had a question, <laughs> still on, on Lev or Alev. Do we ever have the sense that it's it's being used not specifically to mean over the physical organ, your lave inside your chest, but rather over your chest or your, your midsection somehow. Is it ever used in that, in that way? Well, the image that we have of the Hoshen I mean, it's is, is centered, right? Yeah. It's large. So it's large, but centered. It's not on your left side. And right. they didn't know that the organ heart was there. They had open bodies before. Right. So, Yes, I suppose you can imagine that verse from Shmot that I put up there as representing that it's it's covering this whole area which we associate with Lev, or you could say it's covering that area, and part of that area is where his Lev is. Um, but I don't know. But it, it's not specifically hanging out on his left side. Right. Yeah. Now, just I think the thing that's been niggling at the back of my head is that, and we have this expression too that physically. I mean, yes, we process emotion in the brain, but physiologically, where we often experience it is actually in our stomach, in our kishkas. Yeah. I mean, we even say that I have a gut feeling and right. that's that's there's physiology behind that. That seems to be the most primitive way we experience emotion. So I'm wondering if Lev has somehow become a stand in for that general central experience of emotion. But, right. And we know enough now to know that even when, even when sometimes it's really hard to talk about, even when we're feeling it in our kishkas. Right. We know what we're really doing is feeling it up here, but I, up here is telling us that the source of that is down there. Right? I, right. I did a lot of thinking about this and writing about it and sermonizing about it when I was dealing with my shoulder pain, like right. re- re- remembering that, that, that once, an, once an immediate wound is dealt with, 
But even before that, you're associating the pain with a location. But what, what's actually happening is up here, right? The pain is, is an experience in your mind of, of, of uh, some chemical or neurochemical uh, reaction that's firing your neurons in such a way that tells you, oh, y- y- your, your pinky hurts. So you're associated with your pinky, but it's actually happening up here, right? So we, we know that now, and we have no idea what they knew then. Um, and it's interesting how cross-cultural um, body locations for certain uh, certain sensations are, right? I, I don't know. I, I haven't done an anthropological study of it, but I would imagine it's pretty common for people across cultures to talk about feeling things deep in their gut or their kishkas because that's where we seem to experience it um okay uh carol you got just one short rashi so why don't you take the next verse the next verse verse 15 uh to me is very interesting in that rashi is quiet um because i think there's a lot of interesting stuff to be asking uh but uh rashi is entitled to not be intrigued uh so why don't you read um, okay, the uh, Dibarta Elav. Oh, wait, Carol, is it your birthday? <laughs> no, it was my my best friend's birthday yesterday. Didn't take the sign down, but thank you. So I wanted to just thank you. The Dibarta Elav, the Samta et Hadvarim befiv, the Anochi Heye im Picha, the Im Pihu, the Horeti et Chem et Asher Taasun. Okay. Okay. Um, you shall speak to him. I'm assuming this is uh, Moshe to Aaron. Correct. Um, uh, and you will you will put my my words in his mouth. Uh, my words might be implied, but I don't oh, think. Oh, oh, no, oh, the, oh, yeah. Put the words. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Put put the words in his mouth, um, and I. Uh, um, I will be with your mouth uh, and with his mouth, um, and I will uh, uh, teach you, or, or I guess teach you both of you, um, uh, what 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 you will do. I'm trying to figure out the grammar of ta'asun with the nun at the end. Right. It's a biblical ending that we don't use any more in Hebrew, but it's basically ta'asu. It's basically ta'asu. Yeah. Great. So it's a chunky verse. Um, it's a chunky verse that Rashi says nothing about, but I imagine we'll say something about it. Um, I can raise some uh, interesting stuff on this verse, or I can have you raise some interesting stuff. So let's start with you. And if you don't cover all the things that I think are, are interesting and chunky, but all the, uh, then we'll, I'll add some more to it. Andy. Yeah, it's 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 odd that Rashi has nothing to say here because I think it's such an interesting dynamic at play here. It's 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 kind of like there's like a reverse double Cyrano going on here, <laughs> where you have God trying to entice Moshe by telling him that he could whisper words into Aaron's ears, the words he wants him to say. But what he's also saying, but kind of soft pedaling, is that he. God is going to whisper into his ears the words he wants Moshe to put into Aaron's mouth. So in total, the message here is like, act now and you can make Aaron your puppet, but also you will be my puppet. And so it's a little manipulative, honestly. Yeah, it's it's a great way of describing it. And and whatever uh, motivation we ascribe to it, whether it's, you know, 
benign or manipulative. It is layered, right? And, and not to mention just the notion of what it means to be with someone's mouth. Again, we understand what it means colloquially, right? We know what, we know what, we know what the Torah is trying to say there, but it's an interesting phrase, phrase. Would the Torah have said it that way had um, Moshe not already been self-described as kfad peh, right? I wouldn't say that. We, we, don't, we, we might use heart the way they do. We don't use mouth the way they do. We wouldn't use that colloquially in English. We wouldn't say like, you know, I'll, I'll help your mouth in that situation. I'll say, I'll, 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 help, I'll help you speak. So um, how parts of the body are being used here are fascinating. Uh, I got more to say, but I want to hear what you have to say. Rick. Okay, hi. So um, you don't need the word vianochi there because a yeah is all you need. I will be. So um, the trope on vianochi, it's the revia. Um, lately, I, I'm noticing where the directionality coming from God down to us um, is kind of implied there in the music, but um, it's an extra emphasis uh, on uh, on God himself. Good. And just to flesh that out a bit, what Rick is reminding us of is that in the future tense and the past tense verbs, you don't need a pronoun. Sometimes you get one, but you don't need it because it's built in the present tense. You do need a pronoun. And eh, yeah, which, by the way, is also not only a verb, but one of God's names. Right. It's the name that God God told Moshe is the name Moshe should use to tell the people who is sending him. Right. Um, But it's also here a verb. You don't need the anochi because it's built into the eheyeh. Interestingly, as Uncleus translates this, he kind of he changes the phrase. So look at the Uncleus. Utmalel ime, you shall speak to him. That malal root in Aramaic we've talked about. That's the root from which mila word comes. Uteshavei yat pidgama, that root in Aramaic shavei shin vet yud. You know it from. Shiviti Adonai a very common thing to put over an Arona Kodesh. That I, it's a verse from Psalms that I place God, you know, near me or across from me always. Pitgama that actually that also survives in modern Hebrew. Pitgam is like a phrase or a or a, a word concept in modern Hebrew, but it's Aramaic for words. Befume in his mouth, and instead of saying Va'anochi I will be. He turns it into umemri yehe, my my words or my speaking will be with your mouth, right? So it, it, it in some ways it's the same idea, but it's a different image. The anochi ehe means I my entire godness will be with your mouth, where Uncleus renders it as my speech or my word wordfulness, uh, if we can invent a word, will be with your mouth. So um, I don't know if that means that uh, Uncleus was responding to what you were saying, Rick, that the Anochi is unnecessary, but he doesn't just turn it into the Aramaic version of Anochi Ehyeh. Uh, Larry, Diane? Diane's not here. She's off to see her mother. So I'm flying solo with Millie. So I may be Hi, Millie. Um, so it seems to me that God is saying to, to, to Moses, we're going to play telephone. I'll tell you and you tell Aaron. And it doesn't say it here, but then Aaron's going to tell whom. So I read ahead to Rambam. You want to look at Rambam? Because he has a completely different sense of what's going on, I think, here. Yes, but first you have to pronounce it the way Shlomo Riskin tells us to. Ramban. Are you there, Larry? Did we lose him? I'm, I'm sorry about that. I, my computer is, is, is uh, wonky here. Okay. Uh, 
How did Shlomo Riskin say again? He would say it's the Rambam and the Ramban. The right, Ramban. Is, the, is, is on the Milra, it's the end of the, end of the word. Okay. Do yeah. you, want, you want to read it for everybody or do you want me to just summarize? Oh, go, go, you go. Well, basically, he somehow, and I didn't, I'm not quite following, he takes from this that God is saying to, to Moses that you'll speak to Aaron and Aaron will speak to the people, but you will still speak to, Mo, to, the, to, to Pharaoh. So Aaron's, Aaron's job is to speak specifically to the people and not to Pharaoh. For now, right. And then Ramban says that that somehow shifts at some point in the story. And, um, and, and I guess the, the, the commentary that he's making on the verse is, um, well, it's, 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 it, yeah, it's, it's not clear to me what part of the verse he's drawing that out of. But if you just look, if you're, if you're in the Torah Chaim, uh, the Ramban, is the third one down on the right, on page Mem Zion. Lahorotcha, when, when on the words impicha that I, I God will be with your mouth, it means lahorotcha to teach you to Torah you, asher to the bear, which that which you will say el paro to Pharaoh. Kiata lo amar shidaber aharon bavaro rak el haam, because at this point Aaron's only job is not yet to come before Pharaoh, but his job is to come with Moshe to convince the people that Moshe comes with God behind him. Kemosh Namar, as it says uh, in the next verse, for he, Aaron, will be the one to speak with you to the people. Seems from the next verse that at this point, we do not yet have an image of Moshe and Aaron together going to Pharaoh, that uh, what Aaron is there to help Moshe with is convince the people, not convince Pharaoh. Was there something about that you wanted to raise up, Larry? No, I just I didn't I didn't didn't quite see how Ramban got that from there, but I thought it was simply it was interesting because to me the the, the, the sentence isn't all that complex. It's it's like uh, it's mathematical. I'll tell you, and you'll you'll tell Aaron, and because I'm telling you, Aaron will actually be getting my words. Right. I mean, maybe the. The fact that the Dibor HaMachil, which again is sometimes done by a later editor and necessarily by Ramban, but because of the Dibor HaMachil is impicha, that God is saying to Moshe, I'm going to be with your mouth, you could ask the question, well, isn't it more significant that God is with Aaron's mouth, if Aaron's going to be, the, do, do, he's going to be doing the talking, and that Ramban wants to clarify that at this point in the story, story, Moshe still is going to do some of his own talking to Pharaoh, which is why God needs to be with his mouth, and God will also be with Aaron in helping you, Moshe, speak to the people. That changes later on. I wonder if that's what's kind of, he's what, what is what Ramban is makpid about, to use a phrase that we were using before. So one other very short thing, which is we're talking about the mouth, uh, the B, so if, and we're not talking about, I'll be in your ear, or Shema, you'll hear. So, um, which we have all over the place, and Rick always brings, brings it up when we're doing the uh, after Blathora about um, Azinu and Shema and all that. So it's almost as if God is saying, you don't have to think about it, because I'm going to put it directly on your lips, it's going to come out. You don't have, you're not the intermediary here. Uh-huh. So that's why it's the use of the, of the, of the part of the body, the organ, right? It, it's, it's, I'm going to be literally controlling the movements of your mouth and your tongue so that the speech is just going to be what, 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 what it needs to be. Interesting. It's like Andrew's reference to being a puppet. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. A lot of other hands. Uh, Renee. So it's interesting to me that, um, 
even though there was there was some conflict with Moshe challenging um, between the brothers and what he's supposed to do and what he's supposed to do. But Hashem comes out kind of neutral in that statement as he seems like he's helping both of them. Mm-hmm. And um, he's, he's providing what Moshe needs and he's providing what Aaron needs. Mm-hmm. And um, Everett Fox also has an interesting comment on it where he says that Moshe's to Aaron as God is to the prophet with the latter serving principally as a mouthpiece. So, so the, the prophet is, is kind of parallel to the way God sees himself as helping out in that situation. Interesting. Great. Um, and I, that first comment you made, Renee, is interesting because it, it adds yet more color to the last Rashi comment, which is that lest you think, Moshe, that Aaron's going to be angry with you, he's actually going to be joyful to you and or joyful with respect to you. And, um, and, and I, God, am going to be present to make sure that you each ha- have a role here and that somehow you're both satisfied with your roles. Right? I'm going to be with you and I'm going to be with Aaron. There's no, and there's no ranking. Uh, Joanna? So a couple of things. First, just on the comments that have been made with regard to language and what words are and are not necessary. Um, that expression, eya impicha, um, is odd, right? Because, um, you know, to be with one's mouth. And there are certainly other places in the Bible where the, the expression is eya imcha. So what does it mean? To, like, why not just be with him in every way possible and only the mouth? I get that here there's the emphasis on the language and the speech. Um, but still, it strikes me as an odd expression. Um, and the other thing that's striking me as I'm listening to the conversation is the rationalization for both roles. Like those of us who know Torah and who are seeped in Torah tradition, accept that there was a need for two leaders. <coughs> but at this point, in terms of like the pass down, if Aaron's going to be the one who's doing the talking, why not just have him be the leader? Why do we need Moses? We all accept it because we know the story and we just accept that this is how the leadership work. But from a standpoint of a reader encountering this for the first time, why is all this necessary? And now I go back to the whole thing about whether or not Aaron would be joyful. And I could see an argument being made like, you know, Aaron could be thinking, hey, I stuck it out here all these time, all this time with the people. You ran away and weren't even here on the scene. How come I'm not the one who's the leader, especially if I'm going to be the one who's doing the talking? Yeah. Yeah. All, all great things. I have no, I have no, I have no resolution of any of that, but all great things to raise, including the question we should be asking all the time, which is to try to read each scene, each verse, shedding at least momentarily what we just generally accept and embrace because we know the story and, and imagining what it's presenting to us if we were looking at it for the first time, right? We should do that with, 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 um, with sacred text. We should do it with tefillah too, right? Like, uh, you know, is it possible ever in our lives to read the Shema again for the first time, right? Or to read, uh, to encounter a psalm in Pesuket for the first time. I hope so, because otherwise um, 
Otherwise, we're just davening on fumes and we're just studying on fumes. Great. Uh, Tova and then Barry. Um, I was just uh, noticing the the final phrase, Vehoreti et chem et asher ta'asun, because it's sort of if you just read it through, you can read it as part of the sequence. I'm going to be with your mouth and with his mouth and and I'll teach you what to do. But it actually brings in my ear a little wrong. It's like if, if it was really just continuing that sequence, wouldn't it be and teach you what to say? There's been mm-hmm. such an emphasis on words and on speech and in your mouth and with your mouth. And, and that switch to and I'm going to teach you what you both, ye, you both will do seems to be looking beyond the words that are going to be spoken to the actions that are going to be following. Really interesting. Another great reminder why it's important to study with people because I, that just didn't strike me. And now it's, it's, I now, and now it's, I can't imagine not thinking about that. Right. <laughs> like, right. We, we, the body part mouth and it's not the whole et chem et asher tidabrun, but that's really interesting. Um, and I don't think anyone on the page, um, just looking at any of the other major commentators, go near that. I don't think so. Uh, that's a really um, fascinating uh, window to open. Thank you for that. Um, Barry. Um, going back to uh, chapter three, um, where God's telling Moshe to go gather the elders and tell them, all the stuff that God said, and 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 they will listen to your voice, mouth voice, um, and uh, and then you will gather them, and um, and they you and the elders will come to uh, uh, Pharaoh and tell him. You, plural, will tell him. So the the only singular mouth is Moshe telling the people. Hmm. And and from then on, it's it's plural to to Pharaoh. And so one one voice, one mouth, and now we get this megaphone uh, from Moshe to Aaron, the voice to the people. Uh, But what happens after that is... The next story. Great. Thank you, Barry. You may have noticed, if you're looking at my screen, that it got darker in here. The power just went out in this building. Um, the, all of a sudden, my AC and the lights turned off. I'm amazed that I still have connectivity. It looks like Wi-Fi is still working. But if I, if I disappear completely, it's because the, the connectivity went down as well. So it's, and it's a little bit hard for, harder for me to see the text, but um, hopefully there's no major problem. Okay. Uh, great. Let's... Um, read the next verse, because as we said, Rashi is quiet. Oh, one more thing I wanted to show you in the Aramaic. It's not particularly interesting. I just like pointing it out. Another situation where where Uncleus takes the verb to teach, the horeticha, and does not, there is an Aramaic version of that exact word, but he puts it as to the alif, right? We've talked before how the, the, the Hebrew root alif lamid pei from the first letter means to teach, like ulpan, right? And I, the alif yatchun, I will alif you, I will teach you, I will alif bet you, I will instruct you. And I love how that, that, that how that letter became a root, which means to instruct. Okay. Uh, let's go to the next verse. Uh, who have we not heard from? 
today we've heard from just about everyone today. Um, Sue, we haven't really heard from you. Do you want to read the next verse? 16? I'm here. V'dibehu lecha el ha'am v'hayahu yelcha lepeh v'atatiyelo le'elohim. Okay. And he will be your spokes, your your the your mouthpiece. He will be your spokesperson to the people, and he will be for you like your mouth, like a mouth piece, like a mouth. And tielo uh, le Elohim, and you shall be like a god to him. <laughs> Okay. My light just went on again, so now I can see it. Yeah, go ahead. Well, you know, it's an appropriate timing for your lights to go on. Um, uh, That's it. He's, that's it. And he said, and he said he, he will speak to the people. Wait, he will speak to the people and he will be like a mouse and you will be like a god. Right. So this connects to the Ramban said in the previous verse that what is the specific role Aaron is being given right now is not to speak to Pharaoh, but speak to the people. But going back to what um, uh, Andy said, you, Moshe, still have a role here because um, your mouth is still involved because he's going to be for you as a mouth. Does that mean that he's going to make sure the words get out of your mouth well, or is he going to speak the words that you would have said. And then this phenomenally interesting phrase, and I, I want to look at all the translations in front of us, and you are going to be to him as an Elohim, right? You're going to be to him as a plural God. So there's a lot to say there. So you have the floor. So where do you want to start? Yeah, well, I'm I'm sort of sitting here thinking about what the what the meaning of these like, like, layers and re, like what what would that mean to the people like what is meant by this is it is it is it like he's gonna speak but they'll see that there's some mysterious force be behind him and that's gonna be you and then there's a mysterious force behind you and that's gonna be me and it, it's an it, it's like what god is setting up this um, layers of, you know, there's a lot of managerial layers between them, the people and God. And, um, it's, you know, it, I've never sort of even noticed that it was like this, you know, like you're going to be, he's going to be your mouth and there's going to be you. And then there's going to be me. And the, you know, the mystery of Elohim is going to float in the clouds. Yeah. And to, uh, Joanna's comment in the text, uh, J, one of the critiques of JPS's um, translation from other translators is that it, in its attempt to be fluid, it detextures, it takes away some very interesting textures to the words. And so it does not, I'm not looking at the JPS right now, but it doesn't surprise me that the clunkiness of I will be with your mouth gets rendered by a JPS translator. And with great respect to them, it's a very hard job to translate as just a, a presence, not something focused on a body part. Whereas what we've been discussing so far is that the focus on the body part is really interesting, right? doesn't mean we understand it, but it's really interesting. Good. Um, let's, uh, Elon, and then let's see what translations people have in front of them. So I'd love to see how many different ways the, the Atatia Lola Elohim is rendered in the English in front of us. Elon? 
so firstly, in my translation, it says, uh, you will be to him as a master. Okay. Who's, um, which translation do you, are you working off of? That is Saperstein. Okay. Um, but it, it's, when you look in this, in the context of the previous verse, I could see Aaron being okay with, okay, you know what? Uh, I'm Moses' spokesman. That's fine and dandy. Uh, but I, I uh, there's like no way that forgetting about older brother, younger brother, it doesn't really matter, that he's going to accept Moses being his master God, however you want to uh, slice it up. That's, that's, that, that's, um, that's really hard for me to accept that Aaron will say, sure, no problem. Like being a spokesman, is, it's fine. But like having your younger brother be your master, that's problematic. Yeah. So to pause there for a second, if you look at the Uncleus, that's because that's exactly how Uncleus reads it. Uncleus does not take the bait of of the divinity here. Uh, look at Uncleus for Yimalel Hulach. He uh, he Aaron um, will speak um, for you. Limaturgaman uh, as a tr- uh, no, sorry, I skipped a line. Bimelhulachlama, he will speak to you to the on your behalf to the people. Viehu yehelach limaturgaman, he will be for you as a translator. Letargaim vaat and you tiyele, you will be to him lerav. Rav does not mean rabbi; it means master, the one like the 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 supervisor, right? So takes out some of the the interesting parts of what Elohim meant. And, and by the way, it might be accurate. It might be, that's what the word Elohim meant. when not speaking about a God. It meant to the one who's in charge, right? The thing about what El meant in, in ancient Hebrew, aside from referring to God, it referred to power, right? Uh, because of uh, the, the, the notion of where power was sourced in the heavens. Uh, Larry, Diane, then Renee, and then we'll be close to the end. We'll have to wait next week to look at the Rashi's here. Can't hear you. Can't hear you, Larry. You there? While we're waiting to hear from, I'll, I'll try. I'll try, I'll try. Oh, that's so good. I just wanted to give the uh, translation that Kaplan has. Sorry for the. All right. While you're looking for that, Renee, go ahead. Um, so Everett Fox says he shall speak for you to the people. He, comma, he shall be for you a mouth, and you shall be for him a god. And then it footnotes God as being an oracle. Good. So Eric Fox does the opposite of what JPS does. He sometimes makes the language a little more clunky, but is true to um, the individual words. So he stays with this notion of mouth, 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 and the direct translation, you shall be for him a Elohim, a God, which is what the verse looks like. Oracle is an interesting way of, of thinking about it also. Larry, you can you read? Yeah, I'm fine. So um, I just wanted to read Ari, uh, Ari Kaplan. He says, and you will be his guide. That's so, an interesting, um, um, like, sound, because I, he's, he's clearly playing with God, but he's turning it into guide. And that has an you know, evocative just on terms of the letters in English. And... And even though um, Alter translates it as God, he has a comment about it. He says, you will be from like a God. Moses will convey oracular messages to Aaron. 
miraculous. Will transmit them as official spokesman to the people. This rather audacious way of stating the communications relay is enabled by the fact that Elohim, which has the primary meaning of God, extends to merely angelic divine beings and even to human eminences. I think he's referring to all the times that people are visited by Malachim or whatever, and suddenly it's transformed and they're talking to God. Yeah. So Great. Uh, Joanna and then Norm Rachel, and then we'll close it. Um, so I happen to be on Sepharia, and Ha'emek Devar is um, interesting on this verse. It's very similar to Uncleus, but the way he phrases it is interesting. Right, so the fact that he brings in Elohim there, you know, it's to relay God's word the way God would to his prophet. So it's just interesting that Emeka Davar sets up that kind of relationship, but actually uses the word Elohim. Great. And and it's a cousin then to what the footnote that um, Renee read about Eric Fox, Moshe is to Aaron as God is to a prophet. Yeah. Hi, right, Norm Rachel, last comment. I, I'm reading into this that God is reminding Moshe pretty much of the sequence mentioned in the previous verse. God is going to instruct Moshe, who in turn is going to instruct Aaron. And that uh, Moshe should not be concerned in any way that his role or his responsibility is being transferred. Good. Um, and uh, playing off this idea of, of a layered communication system, right? Um, when we meet next week, We'll go a little bit deeper into this and see how Rashi resolves some of the stuff in the in the verse. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.